of movement in the standings. Some of these dog and handler teams saw themselves go up in the standings while others went down. Most notably in the amateur division, Casey Parker and Bailey didn't have the greatest series allowing Ron Anderson and Smoke to sneak back into the top three. Mike Gibson and Jeter entered the day in first but now find themselves a few points behind after series four. In the open division among our pros, Clark Kennington in series four had four dogs and Lyle Steinman two. It's a similar breakdown here in the finals with Clark having two of the three final dogs and Lyle having one. At the end of the day, we'll see which one of these two gentlemen is our crown champion. It is Crown Championship Day here in Huntsville. Welcome to the Super Retriever Series presented by Yukonuba. I'm Tommy Sanders here in the studio with Chris Aiken. And Chris, we've been through it all. This is the day we've been looking for. The final day has closed. Time to find out who's going to be the crown champion. All right, guys. That commercial right there is coming from the Super Retriever Series presented by Yukonuba which, of course, is a sponsor to the podcast. We love them to death. Um, it's time to start gearing up for the Super Retriever Series Championships. This year, it will be in Natchez, Mississippi, from September 25th to 29th. What's crazy is it's, it's the largest turnout that we've ever seen. Uh, of course, most of y'all know that follow the podcast. I was there last year. I got invited by Shannon Nardi. Met my buddy uh, Jerry Impervento out there. He took some photos of my crazy looking dog. Um, but there's a total, there's a total, total, total of 64 qualified dogs. 20 more than we had last year, which makes it the largest group ever, the strongest group ever. We've got uh, 32 qualified amateurs. So make sure that you, if you are uh, in the Natchez area, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, if you just feel like making a long trip from the other half of the country, doesn't matter. Make sure you get out here to the Super Retriever Series. I want to thank Shannon Nardi for keeping me updated as well. If you guys need a refresher, also, you can check it out on Amazon Prime. Just go in the search bar and type in Super Retriever Series. You can catch a few episodes there. That clip, like I said, was um, definitely a snippet from the Amazon Prime uh, episode. And I wanted to kind of, you know, go ahead and get this ramped on up. From now throughout September, I am going to be covering some of the pros and amateurs doing some interviews and, you know, just kind of keeping y'all up to date and up to speed with what these guys are thinking and all the good, the bad, the ups and downs that go on with competing dogs. So, thanks again to Yukonuba Sporting Dog, Super Retriever Series, and Miss Shannon Nardi. I'm also hoping I can make it out to the competition on that weekend if I'm not working, um, you know, if I'm not getting off of work too late. So, check it out. Amazon Prime, stay tuned for more from the Super Retriever series presented by Yukonuba.
the Gundog Notebook Podcast is presented to you by OnX Hunt, crafted to be the number one digital mapping resource for hunters, anglers, and landowners. Download the OnX Hunt app from your phone's app store today and check out onxmaps.com for more inside Onyx. I also want to bring to you Garmin, Build a better dog with devices for tracking and training, from obedience to hunting, limiting nuisance barking. Get exactly what you need to make a life with your hunting buddy that much better. Go check out the Garmin Pro 550 Plus. That's what we're using on this side of town. And uh, get yourself ready for the hunting season coming up. Don't have your dog running all out there crazy. Get him well broken in collar condition. That's what we are working on now. Go check them out right now at Garmin.com. Gun Dog Notebook is also brought to you by Dakota 283 Kennels. Check out the new updated price drops on Dakota283Kennels.com. Use the promo code TGDN10 for 10% off at checkout. Also presented to you by Lion Country Supply, the Gun Dog World's premium gun dog supplier. Check them out now. All right, listeners, listeners, listeners to the Gundog Notebook Podcast. Just a couple of quick updates. I know I have been probably about a week behind on podcast episodes for good reason, though. Um, Well, this week we should have a new little baby uh, on the way. So be prepared to hear about that and my life changing as we continue to produce episodes of this podcast. Um, so that is the thing that's kind of holding me up a little bit. Um, but I'm excited, man. I'm very, very, very excited. Um, also, Ruger and I are going to be uh, doing the Pine Log WMA dove hunt. We got uh, drawn for the quota, so starting in September... Thing is that first week of September, we will be hitting the dove fields. The season is here, ladies and gentlemen. So, welcome back. We're on the other end of the summer. It's over. The wait is over. All right, that's pretty much all I really wanted to run by, you guys. So, stay tuned for some social media updates on Ruger's performance throughout the dove hunt. Here we have Todd Agnew of Craney Hill Spaniels coming up. Alright, ladies and gentlemen, this is another episode of the Gundog Notebook Podcast. And on the line, I am blessed to have the privilege of speaking with Mr. Todd Agnew. How are you, Todd? I'm doing well, Darrell. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, I got in touch with you through your wife, and I'm excited because I, I've been kind of going back through your um you know, your, your spaniel information. And I didn't realize how much information you had out there, man. <laughs> you have a lot of stuff. Oh, we've been doing it a while. Okay. Okay. So, you know, in light of, of training and, and dog work, you're down here in the South. And what I kind of want to get into is, you know, more, I guess, 
in-depth information on Spaniels, Cocker Spaniels, Springers, um, you know, and I kind of want to do a little bit of cleanup on the information that's that's kind of provided. You know, um, so often people, I feel like people see Spaniels as kind of one-dimensional, you know, they, I, I, you got some folks that are using them as flushing dogs and things like that, but down here in the South especially, you get folks that kind of keep them cooped up on the on the uh, on the horse wagon, man. And I just I think they they got way more um, to offer than that. So you've really shown that. Um, and you're one of the few people that I've met that's actually truly running Spaniels on Wild Birds, you know, um, looking at your performances just, you know, through Instagram video, through photos and just kind of read more about you. Like I said, I don't think I've met anybody <laughs> that is that is uh, training the way you do. Well, no, let's 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 keep it in perspective. It's uh, because we're in Georgia. Yeah. If, uh, you went up north. You know, there'd be a bunch of people. Yeah. You know, some of them professionals, some of them amateurs. You know, regular. You know, uh, guy that owns a dog is going to hunt a lot with a spaniel and so forth. So, so, some of what you're seeing is just a function of where we are regionally, mm-hmm. because the spaniel historically has not been a southern dog. The uh, Boykin spaniel has been, but of course, that's really been primarily a slip retriever mm-hmm. so or at least that's the way that they've been utilizing that dog so uh it, I, I don't think it's um anything unique that we're doing it just may be unique to the southeast okay uh but uh, you know to your point of the southeast clearly the english cocker in particular has become the spaniel of flavor mm-hmm. and uh, you know you, you almost can't pick up a, a magazine these days where they're not promoting it's the you know the next breed to cure everything that everybody wants right and uh, you know those things always go in cycles mm-hmm. but uh, I, I think the the reason that you don't see the spaniel in the southeast huge for a lot of upland work is if there isn't a lot of upland game that caters to the spaniel in the southeast mm-hmm. so the the southeast in particular the south has overwhelmingly been pointing dog country quail mm-hmm. was king you know mm-hmm. back in the day and the truth is a spaniel is not a quail dog it never has been and it never will be right but it doesn't mean you can't use it for quail but i have a, a good friend in texas another spaniel trainer and he came over from the UK and he was training down on the O'Connor ranch. He worked for them and I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of acres the ranch is. And so then I had seen that he was running some pointers and so I asked him why the move from the Spaniels, and he still did Spaniels, uh, but he said that he sat out there in the, you know, 4,000 acre field or whatever it was and he looked around with the Spaniel and he's like this is ridiculous Right? You know, it's, I mean the country is just so big that you'd be out of dog before you're running into birds so right. um, I, I think that's some of what goes on down here but they have found a niche on the wagon uh, they're cute of course they're you know they're moving a, a million miles upset I think they you know they have a human element that makes us feel good and I think people are enamored with the small size, I, you know, I think they're mistaken, clearly. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, they, they put a bunch of spaniels on that wagon as opposed to a bunch of labs, you know, from a space standpoint. So, um, yeah, you know, I wish it was different, but that's the way it is. 
and I, I'm just whatever the breed is around. People are enjoying their dog. That's really what this should all be about. Right. We all have our you know our favorite breeds and what we like to do with our dogs and so forth. But you know the truth is, if they're out with their dogs, that means they're on the same team as us. That pro and the pro hunting or dog that that's, oh, that's good for us. That's right there. Right. Say that last part one more time for me. You had a slight little breakup. Um, I'm saying that in the end, though, we all have our preferences. Mm-hmm. Um, it is that somebody wants to use the collective good um, you know, benefits because they're pro dog, pro hunting, pro gun. Right. So I, I don't like to. You know, somebody should use this breed or should use that breed. I, all I like to do is give information. Right. And if I wanted to be a quail hunter, the spaniel is not the dog I would look for. <laughs> you know, and if you're going to go to a preserve and people are going to put birds out, well, then, you know, the breed really doesn't matter because they just put the birds out and you're paying for the field for a few hours or whatever the case may be. So you can get a little hunting in close to home. But if I was only doing pheasants, then the spaniel is the only breed I have. Right. So I mean, they all they all have strengths and weaknesses. There's no dog that is best at everything. So. Right. Right. Well, and I and that's something that I just feel like it's never really discussed. Um, you know, I I hang out with you know a few plantation guys here and there, and like you said, the spaniel's cute, but it just seems like one of those things that's in vogue. And I always want to be careful about, you know, the, the, the trend or what's in vogue, you know, um, because I, I've always just had that second thought, like, okay, are these, have these guys, you know, really studied the dogs and, and their capabilities, or is it just the cool thing to do? You see it in magazines, you see it a lot. And again, there's no shade on it, but it does make me wonder like, okay, what's going to be the next in vogue thing, especially for the South. Um, you know, I'm a big pointer fan. I got my own pointer and I'm a, and I'm a Labrador fan. Um, and honestly, if I'm going to have a non-slip retriever per se, I'm just going to go get a lab. <laughs> why, 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 why wouldn't you now, you know, for the average hunter, the Spaniel is going to make all the retrieves that a lab's going to do, assuming that they're both trained. Mm-hmm. Okay? But there is no way any common sense Spaniel person can honestly sit there and say that history has proven the Spaniel is better than the lab for, for retrieving. Right. It's, that's, that's, that's just naive and it's pushing the personal agenda. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it, if it was just about what was best, then, you know, if you wanted a quail hunt, you get a pointer. Mm-hmm. If you wanted a grouse hunt, you get a setter. Mm-hmm. And if you wanted a pheasant hunt, you get a spaniel. If you wanted a waterfowl, you get a lab. And everything would be covered. There'd be no need for any other breed. Right. But, you know, we do live in America and there's lots of options and people like different things and, and none of them are better than the other. Mm-hmm. It's just what's best for you. Right. And I think that collectively as a community, because, you know, you, myself, other people, we're all in this community. You know, to be quite honest, you know, it's a pet peeve of mine with social media is, you know, we just turn into trying to cannibalize each other Mm -hmm. instead of really paying attention to, you know, this person that's calling me, what is it they really want? Let's help. Let's help them kind of because oftentimes they don't know. Right. And it's very easy to tell them, well, what you don't want is what everyone else has. What you want is what I have. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, I'm not so sure that that's 
really the answer. Mm -hmm. So I think that collectively uh, the industry would be better off. You know, there's no qualifications for this, Darrell. Right. All you got to do is hang hang a shingle and you're a dog trainer. <laughs> So it's, or put up a nice looking photo of a dog on Instagram. Yeah, right. I mean, get 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 a website, or you know, you just start telling everybody how much you know, and mm -hmm. it somehow becomes fact. Um, you know, it, it, it's hard being in the dog business is really hard because you know we rely on people that don't know as much as us. Well, because they don't know as much as us, where do they go to, to be able to get information that you know is reliable for them? How, how do they know to trust me? Right. What's so special about me that's different than anyone else? Everyone's got a nice website. Everyone says the right things. Mm -hmm. So it's it's really it's really hard. I, my my heart goes out for the general public. It's very difficult. Right. Well, and and you articulated that you know very well. Um, and I was going through your website. Um, and it seems to me like if I were in your shoes, you know, typing everything on your website and and of course you have your own kennel. It seemed to me very deliberate that you put almost what you just said in, you know, in, in the text format on the website, you know, for the person looking for any kind of Spaniel Springer or Cocker to really learn about what they're looking for, you know, and, and you expressed what makes you different. And I want to ask you that what does make you different for the listeners? Um, and knowing that you have cockers, you know, why are you in the Southeast? You know, I'm, I'm very intrigued by that. <laughs> it's got nothing to do with dogs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, we, you know, moved out of the suburbs and built our house out the farm in Illinois. And we lived there about 18 months. And Christina said, I've had enough of the North. <laughs> <laughs> I've, had, I've, had, I've had enough of the snow. It's that simple. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and for me, uh, as long as, you know, people leave me alone, I can train dogs and you can't be a dog trainer, you know, in the suburbs. Mm -hmm. I mean, certainly not professionally. You get, I mean, dogs bark, you're firing gun, you know, there's just, there's, there's things. Mm -hmm. uh, we're up in the dark running ATVs to condition dogs you know it's just it, it, it's hard to do that in a neighborhood type of environment so uh, you know whether I'm up north or I'm in the south or whatever the case may be as long as I can you know be allowed to do what I need to get done then it works for me the weather here is hot but you know just flipping around in the winter up there you know it's hard to have dexterity with your fingers right you know? so right <laughs> it's, it, 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 you know there, there is no perfect place we spend a lot of time in the truck because you know you got to travel and dogs have to be exposed you, you can't get dogs to a high level by having them only on your property and no exposure to different things. Mm -hmm. So, um, but you know, to the point of the of the website and what that said is, you know, I can't say that our internet people are real happy with what the website says because you know we live in a world where you're supposed to be nice and be all encompassing to everybody, and mm -hmm. uh, you know that Darrell that creates with me. I don't think that helps people. I think uh, you know that every other website can tell people how oh you know we're good to the dogs and the dogs love us and the dog loves you and you just have to be sweet and all that other stuff you know I'm busy my yeah. time is incredibly valuable like most people uh, you know I only have so much time that means you know I want to be clear the people that want to work with us uh, they tend to be serious that doesn't mean that they have to want to win a national it just has to mean that they want their dog to be important to them important that their dog is well trained not just they have a dog 
Right, right. And I, I'm glad that you said that, too. Um, you know, and I myself, I live in the suburbs and I'm having to make that transition, you know, with a lab and a pointer. My wife and I, once we have this baby, um, you know, God hopefully held in the next three hours <laughs> at this point in time. I would love if this baby came. But once we... Um, <laughs> Once she's probably about a year old, we're going to finish out our lease here and move to, you know, much more acreage. Right. Because it it's just not feasible, like you said, to live in an environment. I've got to, you know, go outside and tell my dogs, hey, be quiet. You know, um, you know, they get to barking and it and it is a little uncomfortable, but at the same time, what's even more important and something that I have to stress that I do, you know, you do is putting the miles on the ground, miles on the road and getting out there. For me, you know, I found a, a bit of a haven in Thomasville, you know, um, and yep. and I found, you know, pockets of where I can get my dog exposed to wild birds and, and things like that. But Again, I'm 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 in I'm in pointer country, so it kind of makes sense. You know, I, I you hear so many stories about people running cockers and they're like, oh, they're little pocket rockets, you know, in the bush and they can really stir up some pheasants. Well, we don't have those here. And I don't think it's fair to the dog to continue buying pen raised pheasants because you're not going to get the same action. Well, I, I, you know, I guess I, I would differ in that thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and part of this is because I'm in business and I view it when we get a phone call, somebody has a problem. Right. And then my job is to try to help them with their problem. Mm-hmm. And so if we have someone that calls us and let's say they live in Atlanta and they're never going to go hunt wild pheasants. Mm-hmm. Well, does it really matter that that dog has never been on wild pheasants? Right. I don't think it does matter. So I think although wild pheasants would make that dog better, um, it would make that dog better at what it expense, I don't mean dollar expense, but for that owner um, to give up all that time or to send the dog to go do all those things, that incremental um, improvement in the dog mm-hmm. would have very little applicability for what he's going to use the dog for. Yeah. Let's remember that, you know, we're in the pet market mm-hmm. and all of us gun dog trainers uh, can wish all we want that, you know, this is back in the heyday and there's all these, you know, wealthy aristocrats that send dogs and they live on the truck and everyone sent us 10 dogs that we're working with, you know, and they only want the best ones and they come down on the train and they go see their dog around the fields from out somewhere. Those days are long gone. There's mm-hmm. few and, fewer and fewer of those people left that are doing that. So in the Spaniel world in particular, uh, if somebody hunts their dog a lot, that means they're probably hunting the dog a dozen times a year. Yeah. Now that may be for half a day is one hunt. So because we get all the time that I know I'm going to go about six times a year. That's probably the norm. It's people think that they're different because they don't get to hunt. You know, like we're you know pounding cover. I don't know sixty plus days a year on wild game. 
ridiculous number. I mean, percentage-wise, there's very few of us around the country that get to go do that. Right. So the majority of America, you know, they're going to hunt half a dozen times because they've got one dog, they've got a business they're running, they've got kids, and they've got commitments, and Mm -hmm. it's just very difficult to do. So, you know, again, although all the dogs we're developing be on wild game that doesn't mean that every dog we put our hands on we're bringing those dogs on wild game because it may or may not be what the owner needs or what the owner is looking for right right so and and okay i get that too guys like you and i are gonna be more adamant about getting to the specific task of getting on wild birds i i get that you know um and and so i mean i guess it brings up the debate and the almost the separation between oh i run my dog on wild birds and you don't you know and so we do to your point we've got to consider what is what what is it feasible you're saying just is it feasible for the owner with two or three kids you know and working a corporate job okay is he really going to be able to do it or is this owner going to be able to take him to a preserve a couple of times a year run him want to have a good time maybe bring his buddies out and finish the day yeah absolutely And, and i think you know the same person has a spaniel in Atlanta versus that person has a spaniel in Minneapolis and at the same time drains and make the same economics, clearly the person that lives in Minneapolis would have more opportunity to actually go wild bird hunting right. because he can drive there in under two hours and, and kick around some wild birds. Well, the guy from Atlanta can't do that. Mm-hmm. So for, the, for the guy in the Southeast, I mean, it's at a bare minimum a full day a drive or a day and a half drive just to get someplace that has a wild pheasants or grouse mm-hmm. okay so the time commitment is much different now i will tell you that i have not heard the debate of i hunt wild birds and you don't if that debate is going on out there if there's that type of conversation going on out there i'd be very disappointed in our community oh, it, again it's there <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, you know, that's just you know. Hey, I'm I'm better than you, and it's just wasted energy. Mm-hmm. Just wasted energy. Yeah, okay. and it, it's unfortunately, Todd. It it really is. Um, it you know there there's like a. I, I, I mean, I guess people are just not considering all of the options, you know, um, and people are not considering the variances in living situations, you know, and, and I do like that you brought that up because it does affect how people decide to, you know, get their dogs. Most people in the city of Atlanta, honestly, are not crazy enough to get a pointer. You see what I'm saying? And <laughs> because that's a time commitment for me. And and I mean, my wife is just she knows that this is what I enjoy doing. And I have to allocate weekends and things like that and work around school and, and get up and actually go and put the miles on the road. But it is a time commitment if you want to get into, quote unquote, wild birds. Um 
And it's also a spatial commitment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, th- I think what where I'm not tolerant though is you know we've, we've got some clients in Atlanta. Um, you know, well, one client particularly I'm thinking about. He's got a, just a wonderful cocker. Mm-hmm. And you know, early on, because uh, we're about two hours and fifteen minutes from him, right. and he'd say, "Well, you know, there's no place to go, and I, you know, I'm just not going to listen to that argument." What? Because that argument is there's no where to go that's convenient whenever I want to do it. Right. And I'll tell you, when I, when I met my wife, she was driving two and a half hours each way out of the Chicago suburbs to, she joined a preserve just so she would have grounds where she could go down and train her dog. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's, that's committed. Okay, and so, you know, it can be done. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying that it's it's free, Um, but but it can be done. Now, if you don't want to do that, I I am fine with that. I'm just not going to hear that it can't be done. I I agree. I definitely agree. And and. To say that, I, I just feel like we owe it to the dogs. If you're going to get this dog, whatever breed it is, you need to consider that time commitment, you know? Um, I, it's the same. I think it's the same time commitment, Terrell, though, it, it, because the commitment is to is to finish the dog off from a training standpoint. Mm-hmm. There's, I, the, you know, wild versus pen raised. I think the difference there, and you'll hear with the pointing dogs a lot, is how they handle their birds. Mm-hmm. Clearly, you know, they have to be a lot better to handle wild game because the wild birds are so chumpy. Right. I mean, they're just they're not going to put up with the imperfections that you can get away with with a pen raised bird that you know doesn't want to get out of there anyway mm-hmm. well you know and the same thing with with a springer you know when we're out in kansas you know the big thing with a spaniel is if the dog takes a running pheasant okay and you know because the pheasants want to run versus or the good ones anyways they want to they want to run not fly and mm-hmm. so because it's a flushing dog and you can't shoot it if it's out of range the bird uh, the dog takes a running bird and you have to keep sitting the dog down move up release it gets back on the bird you set it down you move up you release it until it produces the bird and you know in kansas i mean you don't even count them as a runner unless it's over 100 yards they all run right (laughs) right you know i mean the 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 cover is shin high knee high they heard you pull in the parking lot they've already moved out a couple hundred acres you know the, the ground is so arid that you know someone's walking 40 yards from you and it sounds like they're right next to you every advantage goes to the bird mm-hmm. so i mean clearly you need a high quality dog to consistently put those birds in the bag right. well that's fu- you know that's fine but for again for someone that's not going to do that um you know they still need the dog to be well trained because at the preserve if i go wild bird hunting and my you know my dog's a jerk mm-hmm. you know i'm probably not going to impact many people's hunt because i'm just out there you know myself or whoever i'm with right. well if i go to a local preserve and my dog's a jerk there's other people hunting in the other field right so i would argue that on the preserve you know the obedience has to be much much better because you're going to definitely impact other people's hunts. Mm-hmm. 
That's a that's a very good perspective. Um, hadn't thought about that. <laughs> I hadn't thought yeah. about the other think, side think, of think, it. Think, think of the pointing dogs that genetically want to run bigger anyway. Uh-huh. I mean, think if that dog doesn't listen and it's on a you know preserve here in Georgia. Right. Oh, I mean, you're getting kicked off yeah. the preserve. Yeah. 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 So it's, you know, but the timing is different. So maybe they have to work more on different aspects of their dogs, you know, training slash development. You know, the wild bird hunting for us is about looking at breeding stock. It's about looking at the the dogs that really separate themselves and have the chance to become truly special dogs. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of the dogs that we take out you know out west or up north uh for wild game you know they're really nice dogs they're just not as nice as those other three Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah and so we're you know we're we're separating because we're really developing the dogs when a dog comes in for training more often than not we're training a dog the dog comes in with baggage or the dog is older or the dog's going to be here for three months where the dogs were developing, you know, that starts at seven weeks, and those dogs are getting developed for two and three years. Right, right. Okay, so it's a it's a much longer, more patient process, which is what I would advocate for everyone to do with their dog. But you know, people do send dogs in for training, and you know, I can't call the client and say, "Hey, thanks for paying me for six months, and so far, you what I've got your dog doing is, you know, taking a treat and listening to the clicker." That's going to be, <laughs> right. that's gonna be un, un, unacceptable. Right. Well, with our own dogs, we're developing. If it takes six months, it takes six months. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So now, you know, I, I got a habit of, of going off the starting line and asking a whole bunch of dog <laughs> stuff, but never asking you about your background. So how did you oh, even it's... decide to land in the spaniel world? Um, and I, and I kind of want to do some background and breed, you know, history, if you don't mind, you know, that part too. But I want to talk to you about your background. <laughs> So, um, you know, like a lot of people, uh, you know, I grew up hunting and fishing mm-hmm. and um, I thought our dogs were great. And looking back, they really weren't very good at all. But because you, you know, shot stuff, um, I thought the dogs were great. Right. And, uh, you know, on any given year, we could have a different breed from short hairs, setters, pointers, labs, chessies. Um, let's see, we had beagles. Um, I don't know, webs and border collies, you know, so whatever was around. Right. Uh, and I you know, got to college, and like most people, hunting and fishing was not a priority <laughs> on my mind. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, get, get out of school and then, you know, make a dollar and make your way and all that stuff, you know, became a priority. And I ended up getting a lab while I was working in New York City. And uh, I was duck hunting on the Delaware River and met some local guys there that showed up with springers, which I'd never seen. And these dogs were going off cliffs and breaking ice, you know, in January in the Delaware River. And um, you know what? That looked really cool. <laughs> and so yeah. uh, 
um, you know, I got one, two, and three, and eight, and uh, quit my job, and you know, so that's what I do now. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you made the, the the great leap, as as I would call it, to being a dog trainer. Just <laughs> you made um, the great I, leap. You know, I, th- th- this is what I think. Uh, the checkbook was a whole lot nicer back, you know, years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, dog dog training trials. It's a way to make a living. But uh, ever since I made that decision, I truly believe I've been retired every day in my life. Wow. Um, it's just, uh, you know, days can get pretty bad here and still be pretty good. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, it's, yeah, I've, I've been told by a lot of trainers, you know, at a high level, you don't get into dog training to make a whole lot of money. You do it because you love it and you, you see a bigger picture. You yeah, and it's, it, and it's a lifestyle, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I just think retirement is being able to do what it is you want. It doesn't mean that you make money. It doesn't mean that it's easy. It's just, you know, I tell people I had a job. It was miserable. I mean, you know, it, it's hard to get up in the day if you don't enjoy what you're doing. Right. Right. No, I understand. I definitely understand. Now, you know, you you landed on Springers, um, and I'm assuming you made the trek over to Europe as well, England. Um, not not for dogs. Never never been there for dogs. Okay. So, okay. I mean, we we brought dogs in. You know, we you know talk with some people over there. Of course, our clients who brought dogs in. Um, you know, some of our dear friends here in the States uh, are Brits that are over here training and, okay. and so forth. Um, I'm not an expert. I, I mean, other than the Brits that come over, we probably know as, as much as most, yeah. um, you know, what's going on over there. Uh, it's just, it's not, uh, you know, you talked earlier about wild birds or not and that whole debate, you know, this, this British first American debate, uh, you know, I just, it's great for for marketing. Mm-hmm. I just think it's all. I just think it's all hogwash. It's. I think in the end, it involves people and dogs. It's no different over there than it is here. Okay. It's just. You know, they have the the same complaints, politics, issues, people scamming the system. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, it just it involves people. Right. It, it's people <laughs> doing more damage to the dog than the dog is doing. <laughs> Yeah, and then, you know, there's a you know there's a, a few groups here in the states that are selling a lot of dogs as you know the British offer something different. And, mm-hmm. um, I'll just tell you, you know, the spaniels that we've brought in, uh, if they're different, they're actually more hard headed than the spaniels here in the states. Uh, but they also have some other traits that are more positive. They tend to be a little tougher in my opinion, in a positive way, uh, cover and so forth. Okay. But, You're saying uh, the dogs that are coming just, from Britain? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, I, I think that the, the the thing to keep in mind is what is it that you're looking for? If it's a cosmetic thing, uh, such as size, color, uh, natural range, mm-hmm. um, those types of things, I think they're completely open to opinion. Right. Well, uh, and that that's my question. Like, how much different? Confirmation-wise, is a uh, quote-unquote American cocker or I guess American Springer versus uh, you know a, a British version of both dogs. They're not that big to begin with. Well, I think that you know it. it 
always dangerous to make statements because there's always differences. Right. But let's say, you know, if you took a thousand springers here versus a thousand springers there, I would say the odds are the U.S. springers are going to be taller, leggier. Okay. okay. The British springers are, you know, from the U.K., they're going to have less leg and probably thicker boned. Okay. Um, and, you know, you know, the cockers, you can see the same type, type of thing. Um, but, you know, to me, that's a cosmetic thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think it really has anything to do with what they do for work or what they're capable of. There's some old, you know, stories that, you know, in England, if they catch a bird in the trials, they're out. Really? They're not allowed to, yeah, they're not allowed to catch birds. They have to either release it on command. So sometimes they call it they peg a bird. So if they if they peg a bird, um, they gotta like release it immediately. If they don't, they're absolutely out. And even if they catch it, they may may be out. So really hard aggressive dogs are a detriment to you there. Right. So Oftentimes, you know, the stories go that those dogs get sent to the States because it doesn't work for them. Well, then the U.S. thought is that the English dogs have a soft flush. You cannot win consistently in the U.S. with a soft flush. Well, okay, that's that's fine. And whatever side of the argument you're on, you can use that to your advantage. And that's what I mean about the market. But let's look at it logically okay now real quick though what do you mean by a soft flush to explain to listeners um a flushing dog in my opinion Mm -hmm. when a flushing dog smells game unlike a pointer where they're supposed to stop a flushing dog should speed up flushing dogs are not trying to flush birds they're trying to catch birds okay so if they slow up that bird has a chance to run off and get away gotcha okay okay but if particularly on pen raise game that means that a really aggressive dog could catch a lot of those birds Mm -hmm. so in england you know they like to say it's all wild game and it's not they release all all these birds into these managed grounds it's more like our south dakota is what Mm -hmm. it is where they release all these birds and then they kind of manage them and try to keep them on the property um but there everything is done for the gun it's not about dog work. It's for the gun. So these gunners come in, they pay, you know, these exorbitant fees because, you know, no one can hunt in England unless you're really wealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if the dog catches a bird, they can't sell that bird. It's not, you know, it's not, they didn't shoot it. It's not part of the bag. And they get paid by the bag. You know, how many birds are in the bag. Right. So that's why they don't want them to catch the bird. Right. So it makes sense to them and the way that most of the hunting is done there, the driven hunts, the whole point is to drive the birds in the air so people can shoot them, mm-hmm. not for the dog to catch them, not for the dog. There's very little rough shooting where a guy goes out with his dog and the flushes game and he shoots it himself. It's there's very little of that over there. So I don't believe that it's good or bad. I just believe what is going on over there is different than here. Right. The same way that they all slam how it's done here in the U.S. Well, it's different here than it is there. I mean, guy goes hunting here. He can walk all day and put up two birds. Well, you know, I, 
I don't want a dog at my feet because, you know, wild birds aren't going to be at my feet. Mm -hmm. So I need a dog that gets out there and can get after it because that might be the only bird I see all day. Right. And you're and and what what's that range looking like for you? Um, well, it's going to vary terrain, cover, wind, but mm-hmm. gun range. I okay. mean, if I could consistently kill birds at 80 yards, that's where I want my dog. You are a hell of a but, shot at 80 yards. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I can't. I mean, I can't do that. But I'm saying if I could, that's yeah. where I want my dog. It's what you you're know? comfortable with, yeah. But I think whatever, you know, having been a guide for a lot of years, uh, nobody shoots as well as they think they do. Mm-hmm. And particularly on game, it's different than going to the trap rangers five stand. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly with upland hunting, because you're you know you're moving, so you got to you know, set your feet and the birds surprise you and all that stuff. I mean, I, I think a decent shooter is probably comfortable in thirty to forty yards. Right. And so that means that if we were going into the wind, the dog's got to put that bird up at let's say twenty or twenty five yards, because by the time it's safe to shoot. You know, you're at a 35, 40 yard, you know, shot. Well, in Kansas, wild bird hunting, if you're not looking at a 40, 45 yard shot as a gimme, it's going to be really hard shooting. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that that is a gimme, but if your mindset isn't like gun up bang, yeah. it's going to be tough because those birds are moving. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, can, I can tell you firsthand, we got wild quail out and I was using a lab at the time. I didn't have my pointer and they are not friendly. I mean, <laughs> they are not friendly at all. <laughs> That's right. And like you get out west on, on you know, blue or scaled quail, I mean, they're running a ton. I mean, you know, dog smells them. Even the pointer goes on point. You better be moving because, you know, just like Huns, those those birds are already getting out there. And you might be putting those birds up or they might jump on their own 60, 80, 100 yards past the dog. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, range is um, – it's it's a funny thing. I would just say that I personally believe that the general public wants their dogs to run too close. And I I think it's just an inherent nervousness Mm -hmm. that they won't be able to control their dog or the the dog, or they won't be able to shoot the bird. And if I could change anything in the flushing dog world, it would be that I wish they would allow the dogs to run more. If they could run more, they can learn about the wind better. They won't feel as restricted. The dogs will take chances and really learn how to find birds. Right. And, and you, you, you think that, just with the dog's natural ability, I mean, we're buying these dogs because they are smart enough to be able to adapt. You know, that's that's something that I, I've, I've heard a lot. Well, we're hoping that, right? I mean, all you can do is buy the paper. We, we just had, you know, we had a litter of pups, and five of the six are already gone. They went this weekend. Right. You know, everyone else always wants to know which one's the best one. And, you know, this, this is how we do it. Christina, pick the puppy you want. That's how we pick our puppies, and <laughs> yeah. she and she picks by the one you know the, the color that she likes. Because next week, whatever was the dominating one or the submissive one or the best retriever, it's going to change. Right. It's just you know that the smallest one was the smallest one for four weeks, and when it left the door, it was a you know it was the third largest one. Which, right. I mean, it's just I, I don't you know there's all these things and hold it upside down and do what you know. I, just get the dog. I, I'm just I, I'm I'm not that good. I'm buying paperwork. <laughs> So I did. I did my research. I believe enough in the sire and the dam. I have to trust that it doesn't always work out. But I mean, that's the best we can go on. 
All right, guys, in light of this season's dove hunt, I want you guys to use OnX Maps for any of your dove locations starting the season out. And if you are not a member, please, please, please use the code GDN20 for 20% off an OnX Hunt membership. Make sure you check it out, share waypoints, and there's a whole bunch of new features coming up this season. Now, okay, so in, in regards to buying paperwork, um, I do want to talk about your breeding stock, um, what you look for in a pedigree, and, and kind of the the traits that you kind of seem consistent with what you are breeding. Kind of talk about that for me. So um, when I look in the paperwork, it's, you know, at this point in my life, I just know the dogs. Okay. The world that we're playing in. I mean, we're not buying any dogs that are, you know, unknown quantities mm -hmm. um, where, um, you know, I'm going to a litter because I specifically know the dogs and the dogs in that pedigree and, and I like them. So um, as far as looking in the pedigree, you know, I'm not doing that per se, but I'm picking that pedigree because those dogs exhibited characteristics that I like. So for me personally, um, there's a, a couple spaniel lines that you know, I've somewhat been dealing with. Um, and, and I like them for, for two completely different reasons. So we have a client, um, you know, Betsy, who, you know, whose dog won the national and they've got a long line of dogs with national champions. They've won a couple themselves plus, you know, um, multiple placements, but then dogs of theirs that they have bred and sold as puppies have also won nationals. So I like those lines because they provide run, marking, and nose that I'm looking for. Okay. Then, then there's another, you know, line per se of dogs that we tend to get attracted to, and that's for the temperament and workability piece. And we're constantly mixing and matching those um, because any any puppy that we buy or any breeding that we do. Again, it's a it's just a foregone conclusion that they're gonna find birds. Right. Now now I can tell you we have every day we have a dog in the kennel that is the worst bird finder. <laughs> Now, that, that doesn't mean he's a that doesn't mean he's a bad bird finder, but right. I mean, not there's only one can be the best, right? And that by default, I mean one of the dogs has to be the worst, right? So, you know, I'm just trusting those genetics because even the you know the dogs we're selling are. I mean, I'm sure the people that buy them, they think they're pretty nice dogs, mm -hmm. you know? Yep. So, I mean, we're, 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 we're splitting hairs here throughout, but the temperament piece is the more important piece to me. Right. So we've had lots of dogs run through this kennel that are really, really talented, national level dogs. They would not be dogs that are good for the masses. It doesn't matter if I or somebody else can develop them, train them and run them and look good doing it. They're, they would, they're not 
I do see dogs. I'm not looking for that. I'm looking for uh, the dog that got high point. You know, when everything's going on at the trial, which is can be very excitable for the dogs. Mm-hmm. You know, he's on leash, laying down, laying down in the gallery, watching the other dogs work. And I'm looking for that. And the reason I'm looking for that is because he can still get it done in the field, but that calmness. That's good for the general public, for the people that aren't going to be training seven days a week. Right, right. Okay, that's that's actually to me that's more important than the bird finding. Now, if you got to be able to find birds, but whether they're the the A dog or the A minus dog, I don't think really matters. Mm-hmm. We're you like so we're splitting hairs, and you know you're getting into the the nuances of it. So I guess. I, from the, the 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 how do I say this? Some of the things that I hear about cockers specifically, okay, are that they can be a little bit quote unquote manipulative. I, I don't know how a dog is manipulative, but I wanted to address that. <laughs> okay, so um, we train spaniels, mm-hmm. so that means you know our, our bread and butter is clearly the Springers. They're my love. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think that they are the best spaniel, and that's open for you know debate. Oh, yeah, please humor I, me. <laughs> I, I mean, I I think that they are the, you know the, the best spaniel. It's the larger gene pool. It's it's why the lab is the best retriever because mm-hmm. it's the largest gene pool. Okay. Um, but, you know, we also have English cockers. And then, I mean, I've got a clumber in there that I'm, I'm helping a lady with. I have a Welsh. Uh, we're trained field spaniels. Um, so any of the flushing spaniels, you know, we get in, involved with. Right. The cocker, which is all the rage, the reason that I think the the puppy sellers are doing a a disservice is that it's a very difficult dog. It's um, uh, the old timers always said that Springer is a good soldier. The Cockers all want to be a general. Mm -hmm. And I think they were right. They would also say that you take a Springer hunting, you go hunting with your Cocker. (laughs) I think they are right. Okay. and so when I, when I say that they're manipulative, it's their masters. Just, I mean, all canines are masters of body language, but the cocker takes it to another level. Right. And so they find every weakness and capitalize upon it. I think the reason that people don't see that is that the general public generally just demand so little from their dog. Mm-hmm. The dog is running the household, so they never see these fights. They never, you know, they, you know, people routinely will tell the dog, well, Daniel, you know, instead of sit, say hop, um, so they'll say it five and 10 times. And then when the dog finally does it, they're perfectly happy with that. Right. Well, you know, should have did it the first time. Right. You know? So, so when, uh, you know, when the dog pulls on the leash, I mean, I'm always amazed how people just accept it. And then people spend billions of dollars every year on some special leash that is going to cure that. And it never does. It just means instead of healing, right? Not, you know, instead of not healing right next to you, it just does not heal 15 feet from you. So, uh, you know, but because the dog is never put in a situation of expectation, they don't tend to see the stuff that we see with, you know, with, with dogs in general, but the cockers in particular. Um, and you know, let's face it, they're just cute. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, <laughs> they, you know they move a lot. It's hard not to smile, and, and they're full of mischief. 
Okay, so you know, there's a little bit of you know, loose and fancy free human in there, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. it, it, you know, it, 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 it does make you smile. Um, but, you know, I've got some dear friends that train cockers at a very high level, and it just it, it takes more patience than most people are capable of. Right. Right. Um, okay, that's fair. I, I was always wondering about that, and I, you know, I'm... I, if I, if I do get a another flushing dog, um, because I've, I've and I say that specifically for in regards to a spaniel, I use my lab as a flushing dog. But much like how you think, I don't think my lab is truly a flusher. You know, I look at his performance in the field. Um, we'll do tower shoots here and things like that, and he, you know. I'll sit and watch his head go left to right, left to right. He'll mark everything, go pick it up, bring it right back. When it comes to the job of getting birdie, getting in the bush, he does it and does it um, to my standard. <laughs> he does well, it. Darrell, that, that's all that matters. Right, right. I mean, it really is. If, if, if you're thinking or hoping that I that I'm gonna view that some other way. You're gonna be mistaken. Oh no. <laughs> well I don't. I, I don't. I just like your I, I like your opinion on on flushers though. As okay. you know, no, I don't think you're gonna view it any other way. I um I'm just saying I've had to learn that my dog's characteristics being a retriever are much stronger and go from point A to point B bring it back to point A. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so there's, there's a little, little bit of confusion, I think out of people on what it means for upland. So there's a, there's a pretty big pro out there. It doesn't matter who, but there's a pretty big pro out there that really rants and raves about their, their upland labs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, almost nothing that I see them do and would qualify as an upland lab in my book. Now, do they walk next to you when you're walking through the woods or through cover? And if a bird jumps and they shoot it, will the dog go get it? Absolutely. And they're lovely. Absolutely lovely. But that's a lot different to me. An upland dog has to question fine game, Mm -hmm. not, not merely be there in case something gets shot and then make sure we get it in the back. Right. Well, okay. and that, that that goes back to the retrieving. If you're at heel the whole time, all I'm doing is casting you when I shoot it. They're not quartering. That's right. That's right. And, and quartering is, you know, that's just one particular way the dog should run. And they should only run in what people view quartering if they're going straight into the wind. They should never run like that in any other circumstance. Mm-hmm because the wind isn't right. They should run a different pattern. Uh, this is way out there technical, but you know. No, please like, humor it, please. <laughs> well, you know, quartering, think of it like windshield wipers, left and right, left and right, left and right as you go down the field. Right. Well, the dog should only do that into the wind because it should always have the wind on the side of its face. Well, if the wind is from your back, and it, and it just quarters left and right, left and right, you never 
get anywhere. All, all the dog's going to be doing is driving those birds further and further down the field because it never gets out around the birds. Right. So in the downwind, the dog should really run more like a figure eight and a big figure eight. I mean, maybe the dog should be making, you know, 60 plus yard casts downwind before it turns and starts coming back towards you because while that dog is going down the field, you're also moving. Right. So although it may be 60 yards and let's say out of gun range, it's only out of the gun range for, you know, that millisecond right, right there. And then as it's coming back and you're moving forward, that 60 yards becomes, you know, 25 or 30 yards real quick. Right. Okay. And then across when they should run differently. So, um, it's, it, so it, upland hunting is, is, is more than what most of the retriever people are advertising. And it's more than what most of the people are, are doing. I mean, you need the dog to quest game, a tower shoot. That's a non, non slip retriever. And then we go work those all the time. It's great training. It's right. wonderful. Right. Okay. And then there's a lot of it down here. So it's great. You go spend time with your dog and you know, I think it's wonderful. You don't have to carry a gun. You just sit there and watch and you make retreats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you get free training more or less. You know? Right. <laughs> but, but but that clearly is not a questing. Now, if it's a cripple, you know, dogs get to go out there and figure it out. And there's some questing involved in that, obviously. But, um, but you know, if instead you went to the preserve and, you know, you buy, they put the 10 birds out for you, whatever, however it works, then sure, now the dog has to quest. But that's a, um, that's what we spend the majority of our time on. I mean, uh, there's all the obedience piece, the foundation piece. Uh, but what separates the dogs that stick around are the dogs that can really cover ground efficiently and not leave holes. Okay. Yeah. Because, it, you know, if they leave holes, you miss birds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, um, I, I think that's spot on. Um, and that's... I, you know, that's why I like to and I'm learning to differentiate between what it is that I have and, you know, what's really considered an upland dog. And upland is my favorite, you know, way of hunting. That's but th- then again, that's why I got a pointer, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, in your pointer is going to run or should run, I believe, more like what I'm talking about. Yes, sir. In greater distances. The only difference is that the pointer should be hunting objectives a whole lot more than our spaniels. So, you know, when they look to the horizon and they see bird to cover, they should be getting to They're it. going well, to Of course, we, we can't have that with a spaniel because it'd be out of range. Right. So the, the spaniel, you kind of dictate the beat where you're going to hunt. And so, like, if I was grouse hunting up on the logging roads, I put a logging road as one boundary on my side, and then I go off into the woods with the dog and try to run somewhat along, you know, through the woods near the road or along a stream so I can kind of identify what the course is going to be um, because I can't just be doing willy-nilly all over the place because I'll be out of the dog, be, you know, real quick. Right. <laughs> right. You'll, you'll run the legs off of them. Now, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. you know, for the, I'm, I'm, I'm going to throw you a, a combination between what you do and what I do uh, uh, maybe a random ballpark question for the foot hunter okay mm-hmm. um, there's the the fascination between having the pointer point and the little cocker going in and flushing and putting birds up are we is there a way that we could make better use of our time 
Yeah, I just want to do it. <laughs> okay. Okay. So for the for the for the average person, they they probably don't have enough time to really train that pointer as well as it should be trained, or to train the flushing dog as well as it should be trained. Yeah. And if they do, do they have enough time to train both of them? Right. So mm-hmm. you're talking one dog versus two dogs. The the other issue is that the the spaniel, whatever, and it could be a lab flush, whatever, it doesn't matter. But yeah. whatever dog you're sending in to flush the bird, their life is easy. Mm-hmm. All the pressures on the pointing dog of these dogs running willy nilly in front of them. You're right. Okay. So it, you know, certainly I wouldn't be doing it with a young dog. Mm-hmm. Okay. You could do it with a young flushing dog, but I wouldn't have a young pointer out there because you know you don't want that dog to be moving. You don't right. want it to be competitive. You, I mean, you want to hold point. So it's a lot of pressure on the pointing dogs. Um, when we've been at you know plantations or you know we ran some quail hunts and. In South Carolina, a bunch of years ago, we did as a foot hunter. We ran setters, mm-hmm. and our spaniels walked at heel. But the, the other guys over there, they, you know, when we got there, uh, this is what we do. Well, when you watch them, they didn't have a spaniel that walked at heel. They just kind of stayed within, you know, twenty or thirty yards right. and just kind of ran around. They co- covered the distance in between that and the point. I, yeah, which to me is not, I mean, now you're wasting a dog. <laughs> you know, in, theory, the set, in theory, the setter covered that when he went by it, right? Right. So, um, so I think it, it's just you're asking dogs are competitive. Any good dog is competitive. And so, it, it. I mean, it's a ton of pressure on the dogs to deal with that. It's, it's, it's a magnificent show. But it's a ton of pressure on the dogs. It's a huge time commitment, and it takes quite a bit of skill to do it without hurting one or the other dog. Right, right. I um, I, I speak to my buddy um, Stefan Gro. He's actually down closer to you um, in in like North Florida area, and you know we have this conversation, and he he's about on your side. He's just like, look, I don't he doesn't do it. Um, I I just worry. I, I probably think I worry more about the. Um, I worry about dog fights, man. <laughs> I just um, you, you know I, I think that that's a valid point. If you get if you're mixing matching dogs, so mm-hmm. I've got a flushing dog and you got a pointer, and hey, let's go do this. We can both use our dog. Yes, I would worry about that. That you know the dog trainer that is involved with all the dogs. I mean, they should recognize who gets along with who. And they're just like people. Not all dogs get along with, you know, you have one dog that can't stand that dog, but it's fine with the other dogs and, you know, those types of things. So, I mean, that's why you have a string of dogs, a team of dogs. And your job as the coach is to put who with who where you can, you know, show the dogs off the most. I mean, remember... It's a show. <laughs> yeah. And you get down on those plantations because, you know, when we booked our hunts and we we're $1,000 a day, it was a show. Mm-hmm. Okay. You were showing a good time. Yes, you were out there finding birds and they were shooting birds and so forth, but it is a show. And that's what the, you know, the cocker is done. I mean, who doesn't like to be on that wagon? We got a point to come off the wagon and see that, you know, little you know, furry thing come out of a gazillion miles a second. Uh, you know, obviously that's a good show. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the, uh, you know, for the regular person, 
you know, you want uh, listen, you want to do it, go do it. But it, it, it it's it's not as advertised. It, yeah, it, it takes a, it takes a lot. Yeah, we we are. That's just you know, with my podcast, I am very. Southern Orient. I'm, you know, I'm born and raised down here. So by nature, I'm always interested in a lot of our customs and traditions down here. Um, and, and that's just been the thing that's in vogue. And, you know, well, that, that, that wasn't the custom, right? Yeah, they never had the dog going and flush historically, right? Historically, people no, no. And, and look, real pointer guys will tell you, you need to get in there and kick around yourself. That's right. <laughs> like, yeah. you and then, to- now, I think what's happened though is with the what the flushing dog has done is because you know most of the plantations are releasing birds, yeah, and it has clearly made those birds a better presentation for whatever reason. There's something about a dog going in and flushing the bird that makes the quail come out of there better than us going in and kicking them around. Well, it, it's it's also the. I'm thinking about it as somebody that, you know, hunts in the South. Nobody wants, nobody that is out paying $1,000 a day, $7,000 a day, actually. I've heard that too. But nobody paying that much money wants to get cut up and stuck up by briars. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. It's it's a reason to stay out of that. <laughs> it's a reason to say ooh and ah. Um. <laughs> it's, safer, it's safer for the guide. Yeah, it is. I mean, because because as the guide, you don't want to be walking in front of guns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, you know, again, this gets back to lots of ways to do it. I don't think there's any one right way. I just think there's, uh, you know, again, let's give people all of the information honestly. Instead of, you know, saying, oh, well, no, this is great because we do it. And because we do it, that means we got something we can sell. This is our niche. This is so great. Well, you know, that's great. It's great for you. That doesn't mean it's great for everybody. Right. Right. I agree. I agree. Well, I, you know, I don't want to hold too much more of your time, but I got, you know, a couple of things that are kind of still on my mind. If you don't mind me throwing them at you. (laughs) Um, No, go ahead. when, when When a client of yours brings a, a a a spring not a springer a spaniel to you um mm-hmm. what are some of the common issues that you're finding you know with either of the breeds that that you having to solve the number one issue is they're not problem solvers without a doubt number one thing the dogs do not know how to try to solve problems hmm. okay they i mean they they all have baggage generally right they pull on the leash they don't come when they're called i mean those are those are just you know bad behavior right but the number one thing is they do not know how to problem solve and it's a very somewhat convoluted topic and you know I can't say I'm great at explaining it but when we want all the dogs to offer behaviors before we ever you know tell them something so this is the you know Delmar Smith historically has done this Um, you know Rick and Ronnie Mm -hmm. you know their silent command it's all the same type of stuff where you get the behavior 
and then you start attaching, you know, cues or commands to it. Right. Well, what we want to do is because we use a lot of treats and clicker. I mean, the dogs live with the clicker and treats until, you know, just about a year of age. Right. And so what we want to be able to do is when they offer behavior that is not the one we're looking for, we want when they don't get the reward, the click or the treat, um, we want them to start offering other behaviors. Mm-hmm. So we want them to try to solve what is it that Todd is looking for. I see the body language. I, I, I'm, you know, I'm used to where we're, where we're working, what the drills might be. Okay, which thing is he looking for? That's what we're looking for. That's right. actually how we're carrying dogs on for future development or why we're dropping dogs. Right. So in most cases, if you want the dog to hop and it didn't, and then two seconds later it corrected itself and it hopped on its own, the thought would be, okay, great. That's not what I think. I would rather the dog every two seconds, it offers some behavior other than hopping. Mm-hmm. And then eventually gets to hopping because what that says to me is the dog's going through a repertoire. The dog is willing to try lots of different things to see if that works. Right. And that's going to benefit us down the road when we put pressure on the dog because you can't train without pressure. Right. It's just a question of how much pressure and how does the dog respond to pressure. Well, if there's a problem solver, it will deal with pressure better than a dog that isn't a problem solver. Right. So people just don't, they don't allow their dogs to become problem solvers. They, they want their dog to do something, and if the dog doesn't do it, they're so quick to either correct the dog or to help the dog. Right. The dog never has to try to figure things out on its own. There's a lot of studies out there um, about, you know, people being anthropomorphic, about uh, categorizing dogs in the social relationship versus working relationship with their owners, and all the studies overwhelmingly, these aren't gun dog people, so these are all the, you know, the, the fluffy, you know, we love our dogs, they all love us, it's all that group that are doing these studies, right. and overwhelmingly, the studies show that the more you help your dog, the less it is able to deal with issues. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think that's pretty powerful stuff. I, I, I think so. And we're asking the dogs to do a lot more than just hang around the house and be cute. Um, and, and for any breed, man, we can't allow that to, you know, allow that to overshadow the, um, the expectation and the standard, you know, that we set forth. Um, it, it, it really, really, really does kind of, I think now, because I, I think I know a little bit more about what I'm looking for out of my dogs. When I see people kind of allow their dogs to get away with, with, with nuances, of course, I don't say anything to them. It's not my place. Yeah, yeah, right. right. You know, but I'm kind of like, eh, you didn't really have to allow that <laughs> to, to fly. But I'm not going to tell anybody how to raise their own kids. <laughs> yeah, 
yeah. Just people would just remember that, you know, mistakes are okay. Contrary to what, you know, the media wants us to believe, yeah. mistakes happen. There are things in life that actually are mistakes. And dogs make mistakes all the time. And if you can just step back and say, don't get excited. It's just a mistake. Yeah. That's different than a dog that's being defiant or manipulative or, you know, a dog that's willfully trying to avoid something. That's different than a mistake. Right. So more often than not, if you're patient and if you're developing a dog versus training the dog, most times they're just mistakes. Right. Right. And, and those mistakes, just like any child in school, if we're going to anthropomorphize anything, they're going to make mistakes. I'm a, I'm a teacher. You sit and you look at a kid and say, OK, well, they messed up. You need to give them a, a little bit of room to, to fix it. That's why we have quizzes. That's why we have tests to see what you well, don't know. That, that's your problem solving. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Because if you just crush the kid, the kid no longer wants to even try to make because they're afraid to make a mistake. Right. Well, it's the same thing with the dogs. If you if you don't allow them to make mistakes, they're going to stop trying. Right. Right. And if they stop trying, then you can't get there. Yeah. Now, you know, I, even in that, you know, are, are people what what is it possible to bear down on spaniels um, or, or start training too early? I don't think so. But what what around when do you start doing it? We start seven weeks. Okay. Okay. Just, but, bit, but bear down would be a, would be a strong statement. Yeah. Um, so a typical thing for us is let's say if we start at seven, eight weeks, sometimes we buy a puppy, we don't get it until it's 10 weeks. So anywhere in that range, but once the puppy is here, that, that puppy's going to live in the house mm-hmm. until probably five months of age or so. Right. And at five o'clock every morning, that's my puppy time. I'm up, I'm in the kitchen, clicking treats, playing all sorts of games, just almost none of it has anything to do with what I'm going to do down the road. Right. It's just getting the puppy engaged, getting the puppy to solve little problems, getting the puppy to, uh, the puppy to play, you know, silly little games. I just want the puppy's mind to be stimulated and open to trying things. Right. Um, then, you know, we're going to start to be doing stuff outside with that puppy as well. Uh, but we're not going to be doing all this retrieving stuff. We're just going to do enough retrieving so that the puppy says yes it will do it It, most people do way too much retrieving Um, most people have mouth problems with their dog either sloppy or hard and in most cases they create that Uh, they don't just let the mouth develop on its own Mm -hmm. Uh, the lab world because their way to turn off pressure they force break so the dog learns how to do that it's a completely different program it's highly successful it's just not what we do Um, so, you know, we don't force break dogs. You know, if we need to, we got a dog come in. Yes, but that's not part of our development process. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, we're, we're starting real early, but, you know, some highlights that your listeners probably are familiar with. So introduction to the gun. Mm-hmm. Generally, that doesn't happen until, you know, a dog's a year of age or something. 
um, an e-collar. Okay, I am pro e-collar. It's mm-hmm. not a major part of our program, but we do use it. Right. Uh, we don't, you don't have to use it. I don't. I have. I have no opinion. It's just a tool in the chest. Right. But um, if the dog's going to be e-collar conditioned, that, you know that wouldn't be until the dog's you know 14, 15 months of age. Mm-hmm. Um, so these kind of you know terms that everybody thinks about training, you know, is way down the road for us. That first year, and you know that's really developing our relationship with the dog. We're relationship trainers. We're developing that. Dogs are on the table. Most people are familiar with the table. We're not using it for force breaking, but the dogs learn. They follow us up and down that table. We stop. We don't say anything. We stop. They they hop. They look us right in the eye and then we'll rub their chest. And if they look away, we stop rubbing their chest and their eyes immediately come right back to us. That's all developed over the, the first year of their life. That's important down the road for the things that we're doing because our touch is the reward we're relationship trainers we need to be important to the dogs mm-hmm. so we we like the clicker because people like to push a button well i think as pros we're not real good at educating people about knee collar mm-hmm. it's a great tool and it's a horrible tool and you know people like to push buttons well i'd rather they push the clicker because <laughs> even if they mess it even if they mess it up yeah. it doesn't hurt the dog right okay? <laughs> that's a good point <laughs> you know, um and the dogs seem to love it right all right. There's something about the sound that elicits, you know, a happy reaction. Um, so, I mean, by clamping down, uh, usually um, after a year of age is when that term would come into apply, uh, come into application. But you know, it's pretty subjective on what that means. But after a year of age is when our dogs will go into formal obedience. And that generally means that when we give the command, they have to respond the first time. Right, right, right. Okay. So really, really setting a, a quality foundation. Um, Absolutely. That, you know, that's cool. I, I, You see a lot of folks, man, trying to fly through it. Um, and the approach is different. So... Yeah, you know, one of the last questions I want to do is more, probably more of a shout out than anything. Um, you hang out with a group by the name of the Southern Ladies Teacup Group. So how did, <laughs> give me the backstory on that. So uh, when we first moved down here, you know, as, my, as you know, my wife is always trying to get me to do stuff. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and as you know, I don't want to ever do anything. I just want to go play with my dogs. So yeah. um, we moved down here. We had you know, trained some Spaniards for some people uh, prior that had run some hunt tests. And so when we came down, she won, let's go to the hunt test, you know, meet people, shake hands, kiss babies, that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, you know, to be honest, Darrell, I just struggle with the hunt test. I think that the the, the acceptable standard is way too low. Um, you know, this is a spaniel hunt test. Yes. So it's just, it's just, it's hard for me to watch, to be honest. Right. Well, you 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 weren't there. really too thrilled about it. Our first conversation when I brought it up, you're like, ah, let's not do that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just you know because uh, you know unfortunately, you ask someone a question, they're gonna you know irritate somebody with their answer, right? Mm-hmm. So it's 
you know, it's like, uh, do I really want to say anything? Right. <laughs> but, <No>. I, <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 I met this, this, uh, lady, uh, true Southern lady. Mm-hmm. Um, she was judging and we just hit it off. I'm incredibly sarcastic. Um, she just rolled with it. I mean, she was just a real good sport, made you feel at ease. I mean, just everybody likes her, that type of thing. So mm-hmm. um, we have judged the Boykin National a couple of times. And a few years ago, they asked me to judge again. And I said I only would judge if they'd asked this lady to judge with me and you know my thought was if we could get Susan on board then everybody likes Susan and she could really help the people here because everyone would listen to her right? Right. they're not going to listen to me so so we judged and we had, you know, just had a great weekend and so forth so she judges a bunch of the hunt tests and we had a we have a lady in Florida that wants to run Cocker Field Trials so she's been working with us she came up to run the hunt test with her young Cocker so we went over to watch and Susan was judging and so uh, another client of ours that run some hunt tests he really wanted us to put on the training seminar again which you know we we do across the country and so forth so you know we had one here and a bunch of the hunt test people came so the a lady with a clumber came a lady with an english cocker came um susan was not able to make it and a lady with a with a bench springer came so then you know that morphed into we should have a training group which i have no interest in doing but you know christina of course and so these these four women come out and they're just I mean, lovely ladies, I'm telling you, it takes them 45 minutes to unpack the car because they come with all sorts of food and, <laughs> yeah. and everything else. You know? They're so, from the South, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, it, you know, and it's great for Christine. She gets a little female time and, you know, and all those types of things. But, um, you know, I, I don't want to say too much for these women, but it seems like it has really changed their whole outlook about, you know, what dogs can do, what it means to have a standard, you know, why hop means hop and why that's steady versus that isn't and how the dogs actually should use the weight. It was just, they've used other people in the past, but they just haven't maybe got the information. And so, you know, a couple of them, you know, they weren't sure they wanted to keep judging. And I'm like, you gotta, I mean, you gotta get back. You gotta, you can actually help things. And so then this has morphed into now they want to go hunt. Now none of them have even hunted. Right. Okay. So yeah. Uh, you know they you know we're headed to Maine for grouse here next month, and you know, I don't know if we can get them in at this late time frame. You know, but um, you know I think some of them might go up to Wisconsin. The Rough Grouse Society has a a little seminar thing that they're doing, and so uh, you know. It's very hard for me, as I tell them. It's it's not in my wheelhouse type of environment, but I will. T- I, I am enjoying it. I, right. I, I really am enjoying it. And and this goes right. See, we used to guide, so we were an outfitter. We ran wild pheasant hunts, and if Christina would you know, be open to it, I'd go back tomorrow and I'd never, I'd never run another field trial because yeah. I really enjoy showing this wild country to people that don't get to see it. Mm-hmm. And so with this group of women that are, you know, because it's all new to them, they're all excited and so forth. Well, yeah, that, that feels pretty cool to be honest. Right. Okay. I can, I can definitely understand that. Um, yeah. I can definitely understand that. And, you know, it's good to have those connections, man. Um, it, it, you know, it, it, 
I want to thank your wife for getting you on on the line because, uh, <laughs> like, yeah. like you say, you don't be wanting to do anything. So it's an honor for me. <laughs> it, 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 it's all good, you know, Darrell. It, it, what happens is, uh, you know, you're still in that searching and questing stage, which mm-hmm. is great. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, you're all talking to lots of different people, getting a feel for this and that, and different ways to do things. And, you know, and that quest is a journey unto itself. Mm-hmm. But at, at some point, you're going to really feel comfortable with what you're doing, mm-hmm. and then a lot of the other stuff just becomes noise. Yeah. And it almost interferes with what you're trying to do. And, uh, you know, I just, you know, I want to go find birds and train dogs for a high level and win nationals. And, uh, and, you know, we've got clients that have never run a field trial in their life and now they're winning trials. I mean, yeah. that's, that's huge for us. Yeah. I mean, that's a big deal, you know? And, and so I'd rather spend time doing that stuff. No, I understand. I mean, you've, you've put in the time, man, you know, you've, <laughs> you've had a lot of accomplishments and talking to you you really know the dogs like I, I hope in 20 years I sound like you do <laughs> uh, well you know you do anything long enough some stuff rubs off mm-hmm. yes sir yes sir well I um, you know I I can't think of anything else that I have you know on my list of my, my, my list of many many questions but I don't want to hold you all night but how do um how do listeners and and um, followers of the podcast and interested um, spaniel owners how do they get a hold of you? Um, the simplest thing is obviously spanieltraining.com is our website, mm-hmm. and of course everything is available through there. Yeah. Whether that be you know some product information about us or access to you know Facebook or Instagram, which we're also on. Um, you know, I do none of that stuff. That's all Christina. Yeah. Now you guys so, both have your own separate accounts, which I want to direct followers to go look at Christina too. So I think, well, I, 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 I just, you know, to be honest, I don't know how that works. You would know better than me if you've been okay. dealing with her. I, I have no clue. I, I thought from spanieltraining.com you could get to her photography okay. you know all those all those types of things okay. um, but you can certainly you know you can contact us you can sign up to follow you know all that type of stuff is on there okay. um, we work doing that you know a training thing and you know so people you know could, could get some of that stuff our manual is on there all you know all that all that stuff is on there it's just i don't i can't tell you i know everything that's on there because i it's not what i do right okay well i will be sure to tag both of you guys um you know as i release this to make sure that listeners can get a hold of you through social media and of course through the website um because i, I just really like what you are bringing to the table as far as your out look you know with the spaniels um i've never heard your perspective honestly so um it's good to have that just that that type of wisdom that you're bringing to the table that's coming from years of your experience i don't think enough people hear about real spaniel training either well i i I just again i i think you know obviously i like what we do 
Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't mean that that's what we do for everybody because that's not what everybody is looking for. Yeah. And, you know, nor is it what a lot of people need. So the hunt tests are a perfect example, particularly down here in the South, the Spaniel hunt test. Most of those people are never, ever going to hunt their dog. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it'd be a shame if, you know, not just from a business standpoint, obviously, but from a, from a, a knowledge standpoint, it would be a shame if people with true knowledge you know, didn't want to help those people purely because they didn't want to go hunt like we do. I mean, they still need dogs to, you know, to be obedient. They still need dogs to find birds so they can pass their game. They still need dogs to retrieve. They still need, you know, so all of those things are important. Mm -hmm. It's just, they really need help understanding that um do you have a minute i'll give you an example yeah no please take the time okay so at at the seminar that we had in may we you know there were a bunch of hunt test people over there and so the seminar is really it's about education they bring their dog because you know if they couldn't bring their dog no one's coming it's just human nature but they come and they really want it to be a training workshop where they can get their dog trained that's really what people are looking for right and that's not what it is it's a okay an assessment of their dogs it's use their dogs for different demonstrations where i can and use our dogs to fill in when i can't use one of their dogs i clearly don't want to use my dogs because that's just that's just bad business yeah (laughs) Yeah. i mean just because my dogs can do it big deal they better be able to do it this is my business right you know but at some point i you know i don't have a dog in a seminar that i can do something with well so, uh, you know, the dog comes in because the dog is a senior hunter. To get master hunter, it has to be steady to wing and shot. So they want to get their dog steady. But the dog can't, when they tell the dog to, to hop, the dog can't even stay sitting. Mm-hmm. When they say here, the dog won't come back when it's called. So from where I sit, why are we working on steadiness? Yeah. I mean, your dog can't do these rudimentary things. But, but, but people, they, they, they don't care. Yeah. That's the that's the piece of the the knowledgeable trainers. That's the education for fairness for the dog. Yeah, is people need to understand that it, it the ribbons will come, but they'll come consistently if you get your dog trained. Mm-hmm. If you don't get your dog trained, you're just going to luck into a ribbon, and your dog's going to most importantly be under a tremendous amount of stress because it has no clue of how to deal with the problem. Right, which will uh, inevitably end up leading it to be unhinged absolutely it's going to be neurotic it's you know just have all all sorts of issues so you know that's the piece that respectable trainers should be offering that that's the i I truly believe that's the value i don't say anybody but lots of people can train dogs yeah but training people is much more difficult and and i think that's the more important piece Mm -hmm. oh no i you said that well um you said that well, and that has been something that is all too familiar. And, and and maybe we blame that on too much social media, right? Or too yeah. much of the YouTube dog trainer. Yep. You know. There's a lot of info out there, right, Jerome? Yeah, it's a, it's a ton of it. And I had to, I had to make a conscious decision to really... 
decide on where I wanted to get my info from, right? Like I don't, I actually don't watch YouTube training videos. I don't. I Now I did when I first started, just like anybody would at my age. My information comes from a book, you know, and, I, and it, it comes from a series of books. But what I found is there is typically some pretty consistent information you know, in literature and, and less consistent information online, there are, you know, consistent ways of thinking and, and I guess styles when it comes from a book. And, it, and a lot of people may disagree with me, but online, you don't know. Everybody's dog looks like everybody's dog. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, and every, you know, one thing may look good. And I even get a lot of, you know, flack on my social media because of the way that my dog looks. And it becomes a big uproar when really I'm just training my dog. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but you've got people out there saying this is the way that you do it. And it's it's either very off putting or you're selling the wrong information. I think it's, you know, social media, dog training is no different than everything else in life. Mm -hmm. Social media is great because everybody has a voice. Right. It's also horrible because everybody has a voice. (laughs) Right. Now, I I will say, I I think, can you pick up Mike Gould's book, The Shooting Labrador? Oh, I actually do have that. Um, I was gifted that book by um, a good friend of mine, Andrew Wayman, Sean Wayman. Yes. Okay, so um, everybody should read that book. I agree with that. Mike Mike is one of the three best dog people I know. He is absolutely tremendous throughout. Yes, sir. Um, He's out there and he's kind of not doing so much anymore, but he's a true dog guy, a true thinking, you know, okay, I think this is what the dog is doing, is thinking. He also is tremendous with, uh, you know, the topography and what the environment is doing. And, and from a lab term, you know, the factors, what's the train causing the dogs to do and, and those types of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the, the most valuable thing in that book, I believe, is there's a line in there about training for compliance or training for confidence. Mm-hmm. And that is, I, I, I Buying that wholeheartedly, mm-hmm. um, you know. I, I, I wish, I wish Mike was still really serious about running dogs. He's, he's got a tremendous amount to offer. Yeah. Well, I that is actually one of the books after it was given to me that I took in as you know the foundation for training for all of my dogs. Actually, you know, not just. You know, because I got a Labrador, I think there's a lot of information in that book, whether it be compliance, confidence, um, you know, him giving examples of his personal dogs and things like that. I think that if more trainers read that or more aspiring trainers read that, I really think that book would change a whole lot of outlooks. You would ask me about the elasticity that I write about. Mm-hmm. So that, that's Mike and I. That's a Mike and I discussion. Oh, that, that, that's, really? That's what, that's what. Yeah, that's that's what that's about. Okay, so now I got to take more of your time because I missed that question yeah. on my list. Go ahead, please. Yeah. Um. So we're in Idaho. Uh, you know, Chris, Christine and I were out there and, and you know running running bird dogs, and Mike had a seminar, so we popped in and you know say hello to him and so forth for you know a little bit of time, and. So when the seminar was over, Mike, Christine, and I went out and ran some dogs and so forth. So we were just talking about, because we both,
don't think give the dog the freedom to make choices, get, you know, let the dog get out there and, and, and really learn about, you know, finding game on its own and, you know, that type of thing. Much more of a pointer thought process mm-hmm. than a Labrador or, you know, a flushing dog process. Yeah. And um, so, you know, we were just talking about what that meant and that's how he kind of came in to, you know, if, if you if we sat in, in, a, in a rubber band, okay, an elastic band, right. and you know, sometimes that dog is going to be pulling. He doesn't run off, but he's kind of pulling you. He's stretching that band as he moves away from you, and you got to stay with the dog. And then other times, you're pulling the dog back. Okay, and a classic example would be downwind. That dog should be pulling you because he's trying to take big bites so he can get out around the wind, around the game, right. and, you know, and find it coming back. And then into the wind because if he's got a great nose, he just wants to punch up there. You know, you're kind of holding him back. Mm-hmm. But it's a it's a teamwork. It's it's um, so he and I talked, and you know, we came up with this this rubber band thing. But then, you know, I stretched that to. It being a sheet of music and so i think that if your dog is trained you become the conductor yep. and when you look out there wherever you're hunting that's the sheet of music hmm. and you need your, your dog is hitting all the various notes and depending on the terrain the cover if he smells a bird or doesn't you know it, you know high notes low notes you know it's pulling away from you you're pulling them back he's got to get over here so your job as a conductor is you're staying connected with the orchestra but you're not playing the music. The dog is playing the music. Wow. You're just helping to manage the dog. But when you look out there, that sheet of music looks different than it does two miles away when you run your dog over there, right? Because mm-hmm. everything is different. Even if it's a flat field out in the Midwest, almost nothing is truly flat. <laughs> so, you know, there's going to be a little depression. There's, the wind's going to be a little bit different. There's going to be thicker stands of cover as you go through there. So that, that sheet of music is always different and it's always changing. And as the conductor, you're using your dog. So that, that's what that's all about. Wow. But, but, the, but the foundation of that, the foundation of that thing, you know, Mike and I bantering back and forth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Like I said, I, I feel like that was one of the critical highlights of <laughs> the question that I totally oh. just didn't get it out there. Um, that is an interesting way of of thinking, you know, as far as transforming, you know, a dog handler's ways of thinking, you know. Um, and those are the type of lessons that we really should be, you know, going about. And even as a, a, a pointer, quote unquote, uh, type of training, I want to add that into my arsenal, you know, and really think about the relationship that I have with my dog at, you know, 50 yards when, when coming into me versus, 160 yards, you know, when going away, like, how do we, you know, harmonize with each other? Well, for us, uh, because we did this with our setters, now they were foot setters, okay? Mm-hmm. And so when we were guiding them out in the open, they might stretch to 150, but probably more at one and a quarter. Yeah. And then in cover, they would be, you know, in the grouse woods, they'd be 50 to 75, let's say. But we handled them just like our spaniels. So their job was to constantly be aware of us. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so like one of the things you'll see happen with our spaniels is when they you know, cast them off to the right, let's say like a quarter in a situation, and then they, they go off to the right and then they turn up the field. And if we do nothing, they'll come in and sit in front of us if we don't move. We don't talk to them, we don't do anything because us standing still means here. Right. But when they turn, they're gonna glance at us and if they see us walking, then that means you know they're gonna continue hunting. They're gonna hunt and, and, and go with you as opposed to coming into you. That, that's right, yeah. that's right. So, you know, there's, there's all these communications that you're giving to the dogs and it doesn't matter at what distance, it just may be, you know, the whistle's louder at 150 yards and is at 50 yards or you know whatever your body language is and, and, and whatnot but it, it's just it, to me that's the key of relationship training that dog choosing to want to pay attention to you mm-hmm. and that all goes back to that problem solving mm-hmm. that relationship building stuff that it's all done early on with us man that's gold right there. <laughs> yeah. That was when, 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 when it works, Jerome. Yeah, works. well, it, it just it takes time, you know. I, uh, you know, I'm at the phase now where I'm allowing, you know, my dog to, you know, get a little get a little more range with him, um, but. Like you said, when it works, I mean, it's it's no point in having a dog out there just kind of free running if they're not moving with you. It will nobody's efficient at that point in time. So sure, you know. Sure. I, now, now so, something that you can do, I, I would encourage everybody to do, and obviously the earlier they start this, the better, is if they learn uh, to play hide and go seek with their dogs. Mm-hmm. I did so, that on my pointer. Yep. Yep. We but we started in the house. Okay. So what we'll do with those puppies that are in, in the house is, you know, they'll be out playing and I'll go, you know, I'll walk into the bathroom and I'll start calling them. And, you know, it doesn't take long for them to start, you know, they're running all over the house because, you know, they're young, they're idiots. They, you know, they have no clue where I am. Right. Past the <laughs> door 10 times, you know, all that type of stuff. But it doesn't take long for them to figure out the game. Mm-hmm. And then when we go to do that outside, it just works so much better. Mm-hmm. And we're big fans of running in the woods because the woods help keep dogs close. Yep. It helps keep dogs engaged with us. And so, you know, we'll let the dogs go and then we'll just sit down on a log behind the tree. Yep. And, you know, if it takes 25 minutes, it takes 25 minutes, but that dog's going to come find us. Yep. And, he, and, know, so and, that, and that will help. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think that's a good, you know, foundational thing when I got mine. Just walking around the woods, man, it, it it's really <laughs> one of the better natural controls that you can have. <laughs> it, it is. You know, you hear everyone say, oh, that dog is biddable. You know, I don't know what that is because yeah. I think we shape behavior mm-hmm. to make us be important to the dog. But, you know, biddable, you know, I guess that just means the dog was able to be trained. I, I'm just not sure. I, I don't think dogs, I don't think dogs are born to please you. No. I categorically do not believe that. They're born to please themselves. I think that we set things up that re- gives them a reward that they want. Right. And that gets them to do things that work for us. Yeah. <laughs> and so that pleases me. Right. You know? Well, I mean, going back to the child in school, 
you know, most kids in preschool, they just want to play. They're not thinking about learning ABCs, but you're incentivizing it by saying, all right, we'll do this 30, 40 minutes and then we'll go out to recess. But you can't do anything until we get this done. I mean, I, I think that's a human thing just as much as, you know, it is a dog. You know, and then, of course, you get older and you realize, well, I don't necessarily want to go to work, <laughs> but yeah, I right, need to right. gra- I, 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 I need to make money. So, you know, I, I think the self plea or the self um, the self pleasing, I guess, or whatever you want to call it. That's that's inherent, man. Um, but that's all about relationship building, as you've been saying this whole time. So, you know, I I really like the way that you framed that, though, Todd. I really do. I do. Well, uh, you know, five five years from now, I may view it differently. We'll see. <laughs> well, and, and that's about growth. <laughs> uh, well, that's right. I mean, hopefully we continue to, you know, everyone continues to develop, not just the dogs. So, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, you know, none, none of us should get too happy with how things are. Right. And, you know, before we wrap up, I do want to direct um, listeners to purchase your book. Um, oh, uh, they can do that right on that website. Okay, cool. Yeah, cool, Sp- cool. training.com And, you know, it, it's really, you know, don't get confused. Now the book, it's a, you know, really it's a training manual. Yeah. Um, it, it, it really is, you know, everything that we do when we, when we do it. Um, it but, it's, but it's not perfect. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's, it's the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Um, and I, you know, I still look at it and how's anyone going to understand this? <laughs> because, you know, you, you, you know, so much of, of, of what people often do, they do it, but being able to articulate it, you know, can be difficult at times, particularly the more technical things. Mm-hmm. And it certainly isn't going to, you know, solve the nuances. That's the art piece or the skill piece of the training. But, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's the, the old 80, 20 rule throughout. I think, I think it can get, 80% of the people, 80% of the way there. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 You're and you're, if you can do that, you, you're well on your way. <laughs> yep, so. All right. Well, Mr. Agnew, I, I can't thank you enough. And, you know, is there anything you want to leave with the listeners before we wrap up? No, I just, you know, uh, I am not a, a soft individual, but, you know, be kind to your dogs and, and, you know, mistakes, that's just what they are. They're just mistakes. Yeah. Uh, the hardest thing is going to be for listeners to isolate really what they need and what's important to them and then go about a plan to get there. You don't have to do everything that we do. You don't have to do anything that we do, but to be fair to your dog, you, you can't just go willy nilly. You gotta, you have to know what the end goal is and then don't build the plan backwards yes sir yes sir well guys y'all heard it from mr todd agnew and you know please go check out spaniel that is another episode of the gun dog notebook podcast and we will see you guys next week Onyx Maps, our title sponsor, to You Can Have a Sporting Dog, to Garmin Fish Hunt, um, for, to Dakota 283 Kennels, to Lion Country Supply, and everybody else that has been supporting the podcast since day one. Thanks again to Project Upland and the Northwoods Collective.